What uh? So so anyway, so you were there in the music school at, at Indiana, what for a few years there, and then you, and then you went back to New York. You decided to go back to New York. Well, right for, I was in school for a semester, and then I left and went to Los Angeles for two years, and then I came back, and then I was in Indiana for six years. What were you working on in LA specifically? I was back? at Elektra Records, being the uh, junior A and R. They gave like, me a job. That's what year was that? 68. 68. 68. 68. The doors 60. Yeah, all the doors. So I was around, I was around all that crazy. You were around stuff. for the doors recording yeah. at a Not the, fir- the, the first. Love. Okay, I saw. <laughs> the doors. No, okay, so <laughs> the first Doors record was recorded in 66, came out in early 67. The right. second Doors record was 67, came out fall of 67. The third Doors record came out in the spring of 68, the one with Hello, I love you. Yeah, right. And. Uh, so that's about when I got to LA, and so then it was. That's when it was going down, and then the thing that I got to see was the most horrible Doors record ever, which was the "Come one. On, Come On, Touch." touch me, baby. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the one where uh, so like, you were around. But I was that. around for Judy Collins. I was around for David Ackles. I was around for Rhinoceros. I was around for Tim Buckley. It's around for a bunch of shit. You know, what was the system for putting those kind of artists' records together? Um, well, they just—it nothing much has changed. They, you know, they had a room. People would get—they'd get the band together. Whether it was a Judy Collins, it would be a high-end session band with like Sneaky Pete, Jim Gordon, Chris Etheridge, who still lives about 300 miles north of here in Mississippi, was, was the Burritos bass player, you yeah. know. Uh, and then uh, like I said, oh, Buddy Emmons on some of the shit, right. um, and uh, Stills, I think, and. Uh, so Stills was running just being a studio guitar player. Yeah, and um, who else is in there? I mean, Sebastian on some shit. You know, it was interesting to you know, and um, John and they'd work. They those things. It was eight track, and they might do twenty five takes in a night, and they just work, keep everything, and just keep going and keep going until it felt right to the people. And everyone was a lot of weed. And the producers, the engineers were amazing. This guy, Bruce Botnick, that did the Doors records. And that's where I really learned a lot of stuff, which is, you know, put a, put the mic in the right place, use the right mic, put it in the right place. And I learned, you know, how to get, I mean, the Electra Studio was about as big as this room right here with a lower ceiling. Uh-huh. And it had lots of sort of tapestries and... That was the, the, Dead the, the room that the band And was. it wasn't where the Doors recorded at Sunset Sound, which is still there and still amazing mm-hmm. studio after all these years. But the new Electra Studios on La Cienega, which I'm sure are long gone now. Um, it, it, so it was interesting to see how they worked in there. Mm-hmm. The Stones did, uh, I wasn't around, but they did some of that Let It Bleed record in that little room mm-hmm. too. So that was the two years, that, so that was two years out of there. And then what drew you out of, that meant seems like pretty exciting stuff in terms of what was going well, on. Well, it was just kind of horrible in a way. I mean, I was there and I was kind of struggling. I had this job and I got in a bad car accident uh, driving the Holy Mobile Rounders home from the set. You know, I like said that LA. was, I worked on a record with them. You know, that was already like, in Los Angeles. They were already there. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was the Moray Eels record. Yeah, and that's how I met Stanfield and Weber and that whole gang. And Shepard was there and, uh, Richard Tyler is dead now, and what made pretty, you have an interest in those people, or why did they have an interest in you? Uh, 
you know, just kindred spirits, you know, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I mean, they were, and, uh, well, they were like, I mean, I, I mean, I was 18 or 19, so, I mean, I was I was the youngest kid, and I, I anyone that would even talk to me, I was amazed. Uh-huh. And uh, so, but Stanfield, what they were doing was so crazy. And um, the thing about the Electra experience, and even before I even got on there and just knew the Bill Harvey, who lived in my town, and just... And I knew about Nunsuch, and Nunsuch at that point was a classical thing, and they had all these great mm-hmm. record label covers. Right. And so the early Nunsuch was phenomenal because it had electronic music, then it had this, uh, what's the guy's name, David Lewiston stuff, the, mm-hmm. you know, 300 Nunsuch Explorer records, you know, and that's when I heard, you know, Music of Bulgaria for the first time. And that, mm-hmm. so Music of Bulgaria record, I mean, once I heard that, I never. I didn't want to be like a songwriter anymore. I want to ask a funny question here, uh, just to break yeah. things up, which is a perception thing. Uh, we're in a time now, like for instance, I had to do an interview for somebody in England uh, yesterday that was with the uh, uh, Society for the Oriental Asian Studies in, mm-hmm. in England about um, uh, klezmer music and whether the rupture, the changes, it was a big high flute in question about the rupture and klezmer revival stuff and whether or not the instrument what i felt about the instrumentation shift from the rupture and i you know just means you spend half an hour describing that there hasn't really been a rupture or, whatever, right, right. or dismantling where this right. idea that came from. so the interesting feature of that is how people differentiate between modern and old mm-hmm. which in a sense is a 20th century discussion anyway right. and it's with the taps on things that we're doing if you heard something that those Bulgarian recordings, did it did it strike you as contemporary to the Doors, or did it strike you as from another as 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 different from that? Music? Oh, it struck me as being like way out in front of the Doors. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was uh-huh. like beyond the. Do- it made the Doors seem pedestrian. Pedestrian, yeah, yeah. So and then and then if that was the case, now look, uh, you know, since. I, I don't know, but it seems like, you know, if you're making record in, in those days, I mean, the Doors had us. How did the money work for recording people? I, I really don't know because I was really out of the money. I was like the kid that would go get, uh, pick up somebody at the airport or mm-hmm. go out, go to this dealer's house and get a bag of weed for mm-hmm. so-and-so, you know, and right. and go to fly to Phoenix and make a demo of these people. We kind of like them, but, you know, none of the big shots have time to go and we'll listen to him on tape and then we'll go see him if we like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, my job was multifaceted like that. So I didn't, I have no idea what the studio rate was, what the engineers were paid. I know that Jack Holtzman like gave Virgos to be engineers and I was like a straight Aquarius. So I was like out and Jack Holtzman didn't like me at all. Wait, what does this mean? He gave Virgos? Wait, gave it- Virgos. He, that's what he liked. He had Alan Emig gave Virgo, John Haney gave Virgo. Bruce Botnick, straight Virgo, but at least a Virgo. Fritz Richmond from the so, Jug Band. So he was Virgo. running his studio according astrologically. Astrologically, yeah. His label was people had to fit, and, and <laughs> so I was like the the, the Aquarius one. Just, Eventually, he fired, he fired me for being an Aquarius. It was like, <laughs> no wonder he went to New York. I, I was, yeah. you know, that's like the, that's like the, the, you know the setting of the age of Aquarius right there. So that's amazing. So then, um, <laughs> so <laughs> so, uh, so then so so yeah. So this is interesting. So so Bulgarian music strikes you as more 
modern, more, more, oh yeah, way like... more on top of things, which is interesting because usually people's people's, uh, you know, so much of the marketing of folk music, and of course you're in, right. you're in, you're, you're into. Uh, it's Stanfield and these people, which I mean, Stanfield's very aware of the way, right. the, the way the way that he navigates through that. But so much of people's perception of that is it has to do with some kind of age or authenticity that comes from 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 aging. And it's interesting to hear that that actually you, where do you think that that idea came from? Being just that the authenticity thing. Yeah, I just think that was a, started out as a marketing thing and got like branded into people's head around the time of the Weavers and uh-huh. and the you know and the. House of an American actor, you know, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, it's like it was like how they sold, yeah. And then they sold Robert Johnson this thing the same way when Robert Johnson, you know, it was like they made up all this shit and mm-hmm. then like sold this as this is the real, this is the guy did, not any of this shit. That's, and yeah. you know, so again, it's like, yeah, I think it all with the music business, it all comes down to like skillful, you know, the most skillful marketing. Led Zeppelin, great. I mean, but every band that was really successful or any folk music movement or any festival it all comes down to like you got to deliver the goods and you got to deliver it in a way that makes people have a there's it's got to be a story behind it uh-huh it's vaudeville i mean you know it's like fucking has vaudeville left but it never really left <laughs> so but when you're talking about people like Zanakis or or even like what you would have been doing in the room in la you're talking about just the sound as it is as an artifact Right, so this is a separate deal. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we make you you make up a piece of music and it sits there. It's on a piece of paper or something, or it's on your sequencer until it gets played for real. Or maybe that's all it is. It's in your sequencer. Or maybe it's like now these millions of guys that have laptops and they go, they make all their and that's as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. And so now, I mean, to try to codify music on any level is beyond me. You know, I don't. Yeah. What the fuck, I don't. You know. Uh-huh. I can, you know, I couldn't even begin to figure out where any of this shit is now, because, uh, I mean, I know, um, I listen, I go back into really old stuff, but it's not because I'm revering the old stuff. I'm just trying to see where this obviously had some meaning at some point, and meaning to you or to, to, to any to, to people, any, to people, you know, and. So I go look and see, okay, why, because um, I've been, you know, going back, oh, you know, in the old Lomax and the older than that, you know, and the same thing like what you all were doing with the Tom Payne thing, but I've been going back into all these old gospel things, mm-hmm. and that's really interesting to me now, and so, so now it's like writing, like mutating those things, mm-hmm. changing the words, changing this, changing some of the music, just making it so I could actually perform it without feeling like I was doing a museum piece, which mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, that's when you... Well, that's, well, that's the New Orleans thing you're talking about. You know, when I came to New Orleans and I was shocked to find how sloppy everything was. Mm-hmm. And I'd go here, you know, Cyril Neville and Eugene Senegal at tips and they'd just be like up there fucking around like, like, what are they doing? This is a gig? You know, yeah. and so I had so my, my lot of time in New Orleans time going, this is what these people do? Were there a lot and, of people in the audiences at that point? Some, there'd be like 50 people or something. But, and when I first came here, the Neville brothers could play the Dream Palace on a Saturday night and there'd be like 75 people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it wasn't any big deal. And the Jazz Fest would have three venues. Yeah. 
uh, on a Saturday night, there'd be like you could go to Tips, you could go to the Snug, you could go to the uh, Blue Nile. You could, there'd be on a riverboat, but there wasn't like a whole lot of shit going on, and people weren't all that popular. Uh, let's get, so, get let me ask a question about just previous that. So now we get out okay. of LA. I, I'm, I'm not. I don't really want to run a linear thing. I mean, I want to move right. on, but I think like there's I, there's just a few a few things I think are, are interesting relative to the New Orleans thing, which. Because uh, I want to somehow get back to the to the fact that there's the recording and the playing. Not that they're differentiated, but they're differentiated in people's heads. So the, both of them are two different modes of creating. Yeah. Somewhat. So, I, I, what what happened in New York? What? So you went back to New York. Well, New York. You know, I went there and I, I just was trying to survive. I went there. It was sort of like a like the way kids moving into the Bywater, and I was like, well, at that point, it was like I'd been going to New York off and on. I'd gone to high school there, so I'd been away. But I'd go back and forth, and I knew a lot of people there, and I knew, you know, the Stamphill scene and all that. So I went there, and I started. I had a band with uh, Stamphill for a minute, which, if you read the, uh, you were playing guitar, the guide, the history of popular music says, and they, they collaborated on it, and it was an, it was unsuccessful, an unsuccessful venture. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's great. I'm in the encyclopedia of popular music for being an unsuccessful band that played. Six times at Broadway Charlie's, you know. What were you trying to do with Stamphill? Well, well that was the question. It was like we were trying to extend... We were basically doing an extension of the repertoire that he'd always done, which was, you know, like the... It was right around Have Moisey. Have you know, Mercy. That, that record, the Have Moisey, the... Hey, 